medium today. The episode's dropping on Mondays. It's the man, it's the man, watch that. It's the man, it's the man, watch that. It's the man, it's the man, watch that podcast. Hey, welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, a few months ago, Netflix released the series Ratchet, a prequel to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest featuring Mildred Ratchet working as a nurse in a psychiatric hospital. And I was excited for this. You cannot go wrong with Sarah Paulson. She has never turned in a meh performance, even in Swimmers. When she portrayed Marsha Clark in American Crime Story, There was a montage where she was getting glammed up, got a perm, was feeling good about herself. Then she walked into the courtroom and could tell by the reactions from the other attorneys that she made an error in judgment. As she sat at the prosecutor's table, she cleared her throat before taking a drink. It's one of the most subtly heartbreaking acting I've ever seen. It made me feel so bad for her. That scene stuck with me for days. Add Finn Whitrock, Cynthia Nixon, Sharon Stone, and Judy Davis to the mix, and you have yourself a solid cast. With Ryan Murphy as the creator, this has hit written all over it. But I watched the first episode, and I felt like I was missing something. The reveal at the end certainly made me want to watch more, but I wasn't ready to be committed, so to speak. There might be Easter eggs that I'm not aware of because... I've never watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest which made my next movie selection very easy. On this episode, I will be reviewing Midnight Cowboy. No, of course, I've seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now, I was watching an episode of Jeopardy because I needed to lower my self-esteem. I'm telling you, there was one episode where the first round categories were famous operas, African countries, 11-letter words, and I didn't even get the rest. I'm like, I'm out. But if there's a movie, TV, or music category, I have a shot to feel somewhat intelligent. On the November 20th, 2019 episode, the final Jeopardy category was movie and book titles. I was wagering everything. That was a mistake. The answer was, this title of a 1962 novel and 1975 film refers to the direction the last three geese took in an old nursery rhyme. The question? Come on, say it with me. What is? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It came from the Ken Casey novel and read, One Flew East, One Flew West, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I don't know if that's the pattern that they use to say it, but that's what I heard in my head. At your next dinner party, throw that factoid out there. If it gets you punched in the face, maybe try, along with It Happened One Night from 1934 and The Silence of the Lambs in 1991, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest won every major Academy Award. Best Picture, Actor, Actress, Director, and Screenplay. Not a bad feat. It received nine nominations total. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It, two stars Watch at Your Own Risk, three stars Standard Fair, four stars Worth Checking Out, five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca or Jaws or Seinfeld. 
I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations. We're introduced to Nurse Ratchet, portrayed by Louise Fletcher, as she starts her day medicating the patients in the facility. She likes maintaining order and rules with an iron fist, in her mind, to the benefit and psychological health of the patients. R.P. McMurphy is brought in by the authorities and admitted to the hospital. In typical Jack Nicholson fashion, he's a bit over the top, but at this point, you're not sure if the character is acting or not. We find out he's been arrested for statutory rape and transferred over from the prison work farm to be evaluated to see if he's mentally ill. McMurphy believes that his stay at the facility will be less restrictive than in prison and plans to coast, but plans have a way of changing. In the first group therapy session, McMurphy tries to test Ratchet. He has a history of being a troublemaker and rabble-rouser. He starts shuffling cards, anything to be distracting, but she ignores him and focuses on the other patients. Speaking of, if there was an Ensemble Academy Award, this film would deserve it. I was so impressed by the performances of the supporting characters, many of whom went on to bigger roles but were starting out at the time. This was the first role for Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future and Clue fame. Danny DeVito, who reprised the role from the off-Broadway production, was almost unrecognizable to me at first. Vincent Schiavelli would go on to co-star in Ghost. Michael Berriman from Weird Science and The Hills Have Eyes has a non-speaking role, I believe. Sidney Lassick, who I knew from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, plays a childlike man so convincing. And Brad Dourif, the voice of Chucky, is incredible as Billy Bibbit, which is also his film debut. Soon McMurphy becomes the de facto leader of the patients. He treats them as if they don't have mental illness. He tries to encourage them and talks to them without any pretense. You can see that they're growing and developing under his tutelage. But Ratchet does her best to reel them in through manipulation and passive aggressiveness, and so the cat and mouse game begins. The interplay between McMurphy and Ratchet is interesting to watch. He continues to show the patients that life is more than just being locked away, while she tries to maintain status quo, giving the patients a routine and her total control. In the end, both methodologies are valid, but when taken to the extremes, can be harmful. The moment the patients start to taste freedom, they don't know how to handle it but they're also more than capable of making certain decisions about their livelihoods. The film was directed by Milos Forman, who also helmed Amadeus, The People vs. Larry Flint, and Hair. There were a few zoom-ins that annoyed me, but the guy won an Academy Award, and I'm just talking about it. So overall, I liked the direction. Jack Nicholson turned in a great performance. It is reminiscent of other roles that followed and ones I saw first, but objectively, this was certainly the next evolution of him as an actor. There was a scene where the camera was on Jack for a good 45 seconds, and through his facial expressions alone, there were so many emotions going through his mind, but nothing was said. Just great acting. Now, as a side note, the age of the character is supposed to be 38, and that's how old Jack was in actuality. I have to say, that's a hard 38. That's a tough living 38. But the man has lived a good life. Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratchet was ice cold. She rarely showed any emotion outside of an outburst near the end. She maintained her composure under most circumstances. Now, over the years, I've seen the character listed in top 10 best villains, and it shows how much emotional or mental trauma is just as critical, if not more, than physical harm caused in horror movies. But I expected more villainy. It might have been overhyped in my mind. She doesn't seem more cruel than a nun in Catholic school. When Louise Fletcher accepted the Academy Award for Best Actress, part of her speech was in sign language for her parents who were deaf. 
it was a nice moment, and I've included it as part of the Matt Watch That playback playlist, so check that out. The score that opens and closes the movie was composed by Jack Nietzsche, known for An Officer and a Gentleman and The Jewel of the Nile. There were sections of the movie that I thought could use more orchestration to complement the scenes. The runtime is 2 hours and 13 minutes, and the first 30 minutes goes by pretty fast, but it slows down a bit toward the end because there's a decent chunk where Nurse Ratchet isn't present, and it's her interaction with McMurphy that drives the conflict in the film. Ultimately, the movie comes down to group therapy, basketball, medication, nickels and dimes, Popeye the Sailor Man, I Want Candy, Water Fountain, and the World Series. I give it four and a half out of five stars. Add a half a star if you believe the best movies were made in the 70s. If you've seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. I've always loved stand-up comedy. I started listening to Richard Pryor and George Carlin when I was way too young. HBO had Eddie Murphy raw playing in late nights, and I definitely snuck a peek. But it wasn't until I started listening to The Opie and Anthony Show that I gained a new appreciation and respect for stand-up. For those uninitiated, Opie and Anthony were a pair of shock jock radio hosts who gained fame in afternoons at WAAF in Boston before being hired at WNEW in New York and eventually settling at XM Radio, which in turn merged with Sirius Radio to form Sirius XM. They pulled a lot of stunts over the years and gained enough notoriety and popularity to be syndicated to stations across America, but they're probably most famous for the ways they got fired. While in Boston, on April Fool's Day, they announced that the mayor had died in a car accident and they were eventually fired. In New York, um, how do I explain this tastefully? Their show ended shortly after an annual contest where couples engaged in relations in public places for points and a chance to win a trip to the Sam Adams Brewery. One of the couples had relations in a vestibule at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Yeah, that one. The big one. This caused a bit of a stir, as you can imagine, and they were fired. Again. Despite the setbacks, they always seemed to fail upwards, getting into bigger markets at larger salaries, but eventually you knew they would shoot themselves in the foot, and their show fell apart in 2015. Now I know I haven't presented the best case for the Opie and Anthony show, but despite all the controversies, they did change radio. Granted, they probably killed radio as well. From the first time I heard them, I was hooked. For four hours a day, I would have the biggest laughs. It got to the point where I didn't want to miss an episode. There weren't any replays, and uploading the show to YouTube wasn't a frequent occurrence. At the time, I was in college and only scheduled classes that didn't interfere with listening to the show. This was probably my first real obsession. When they brought in guests, there wasn't a set interview or standard questions. They were just riffing and allowed the conversation to go where it went. And that brought a lot of good out of the actors, sports figures, and newsmakers. Opie and Anthony were able to humanize them because the guests weren't there only to promote a new project or get out their latest plug. But the highlight of their show was when stand-up comedians made an appearance. They added Jim Norton as their third seat, and he brought another level of hilarity, bombs, and flubs. He was quick on his feet and had so many random rants about birds, Canada, classic rock, that he fired out of his no-chin face. 
this was around the time where we were experiencing another golden age of comedy, where you had stand-ups like Bill Burr, Patrice O'Neill, Louis C.K., Bobby Kelly, Joe Rogan, Greg Giraldo, Patton Oswalt, Dave Attell, Otto and George, Jay Moore, Mark Maron, Nick DiPaolo, and Mike Birbiglia, emerging and on the verge of breakout, along with the resurgence of Jim Brewer, Rich Voss, Colin Quinn, and Louis Black. Opie and Anthony became so popular, they created the Traveling Virus Comedy Tour, where stand-ups who appeared on the show toured across cities performing shortened sets. In 2006, there was one show that was particularly memorable when they visited Philadelphia. It was a long day, and the crowd had gotten drunk and rambunctious. When comedian Dom Herrero went on stage, they booed him throughout the set. Next up was Bill Burr, and he wasn't taking any of it. He went on a 12-minute rant where he ragged on everything Philadelphia. Sports teams, icons, completely off the cuff, no mercy. It was brilliant. I had been a fan of Bill Burr for a few years, but that rant solidified it. And it's great seeing 14, 15 years later that he's finally getting the recognition he deserves, hosting SNL, having his own animated series, F is for Family, and all the comedy specials you can stream on Netflix. In my opinion, he's the greatest living comedian right now, and if you're missing out on him, you're missing the boat. So I'll post his Philly rant on the Matt Watch That playback playlist, but please note, there is harsh language and yada yada yada, so if you're easily offended, don't bother pressing play. This is your warning. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about And Then I Go. On some platforms, it's known as Triggered. It's an independent film directed by Vincent Grashaw. The screenplay was co-written by Brett Haley and Jim Shepard, based off his book, Project X. It's a powerful drama about two friends who are constantly being bullied by classmates and plot revenge in the most dramatic way. It realistically captures the impact of bullying, alienation, and adolescence. While the premise and the subject matter might seem similar to other films in the subgenre, it's the incredible, authentic performances by the cast that set it apart. Sawyer Barth plays Flake, a haunted soul and the more aggressive and motivated member of the duo. He was seen in a short-lived series, The Kids Are Alright, on ABC, which was pretty decent. But it's Armin Darbo, who plays Edwin, who gives an outstanding performance. It's the most realistic portrayal of the angst and agony of being a teenage boy, speaking from experience. I feel like I'm watching a documentary in his scenes. Nothing feels forced or false. While it's easy to get caught up in the school shooting storyline, and I think other movies execute that part better, Elephant, The Dirty, Zero Day, and then I go captures that desperation and feelings of dejection better than those others. I really like this movie a lot. It affected me deeply. It's not an easy watch. You can't see it when you're happy. This is one of those you have to be in the mood to watch it, but it is so worth it for the performances. And Then I Go, aka Triggered, is streaming on Hoopla, Tubi, and Canopy. It could also be purchased off of Amazon and anywhere else you can buy films. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. 
I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need listeners first, so follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time, a little dab will do ya. A few months ago, Netflix released the series Pratchett. Pratchett? What the hell am I talking about? And I think other movies execute. Vincent Schiavelli would go on to co-host. Oh boy. And you have yourself a holid class. A holid class? Wow.